Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, the J10 Initiative. Have yourself a merry little Christmas time. I don't know. Oh, yeah, that's the I think that's just the end. I was like, what's the next? (laughs) Well, um... Merry Christmas, Merry December Christmas. 28th, if you're listening uh, right when this drops, because that's the best thing you can do during uh, your Christmas time. Thanks for joining that's right. us. That's right. Well, thanks for joining us. This is um, Father Mike. Deacon Jacob. And this is Catholic Stuff You Should Know. Christmas edition. Jingle bells, jingle. <laughs> Did you ever do the Jingle Bells Batman Smells one? That was one of my favorites growing up. Oh, yeah. Robin laid an egg. Yep. <laughs> that was clever. Whoever came up with these things. The first kindergartner to come up with that one. Yeah. Back in the day. Um, I feel like there's songs about feet sinking. <laughs> <laughs> Are you a, uh, well, now we're, we're firmly in the Christmas season, so anybody listening to Christmas music, good on you. Are you a Christmas bef- Christmas music before Christmas guy or I no? I had this one th- with John. Uh-oh. I am uh, in full support of Christmas music all year long. <laughs> We're either preparing or celebrating yeah. all year long. I don't mind. I think it gets the I think it gets the excitement stoked. Yeah, well, so it's kind of an Advent practice. I find Advent is a p- joyful anticipation, awaiting Adventus, right? Yeah. The, towards the coming. Yeah, yeah. So we're, Come we're, on, we're looking at the coming. We're, we're getting excited for him coming. We're anticipating it. Yeah. And I love the, I think some of the songs are just kind of secular, but it does get you in the yeah. I don't, holiday spirit, I guess, is going to be <laughs> make people roll their eyes on Catholic stuff. But um, I don't know. I feel it. I like yeah, it. I, I don't want to go full send into Christmas mode. I mean, we're recording this on the 15th. Yeah. So we got 10 days before christmas and uh definitely want to enjoy the anticipation so totally. i'm not going full send christmas music but i'll hear it and I'm, I'm not too mad about it but this time of year can also be it's like darker and mm-hmm. colder and gray and there's can be like yep. anxiety around shopping so i'd like the lightened yeah. atmosphere and i love christmas lights on the houses mm-hmm. i love walking around or running through the neighborhood with the christmas lights on at oh, dusk yeah. it's great um Keep them up. Keep them up longer. I will say that. Don't there take, you go. Don't take your Christmas lights down on December 26th and tell your neighbors not to either. Yeah. Put them up early, but then leave them up till at least January 6th. There we go. Yeah. I'm all for that. I like that. You know, <laughs> to have the actual proper Christmas yeah. liturgical season, just keep everything going. Exactly. Well, are you a um, Bing Crosby, Mariah Carey, or... Chipmunks. <laughs> you remember Chipmunks? I do remember those. Of those three, I'm going to go Bing Crosby uh, okay. crowd. But the InSync Christmas album has played before. Oh. The Michael Bublé Christmas album. My mom likes has Clay played. Aiken. <laughs> I haven't listened to Clay Aiken's Christmas album. Um, yeah, I don't have a go-to. Honestly, I don't like the two, especially monster. in the world with Spotify. It's just kind of like Christmas music, and then I pick one that looks alright. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, that's the thing. We don't do albums so much anymore, but. Whatever. I'm not brokenhearted. Um, If you could wish the world two things for Christmas, what would they be? Hmm. This one's going to seem like odd or like overly uh, ambitious plumical, but I wish everybody would welcome Jesus into their heart and become Catholic. Total total Catholic world. Come back, Jesus, for the second time. (laughs) Yeah, that's, I mean that's the first wish, like that everybody would know Jesus, not 
not just an idea of Jesus, not just a, an ideology around faith, but like would know Jesus and that I would know Jesus more and more as he yeah. is and that we would actually enter into uh, faith and true brotherhood. So that's one. I love that stuff. And I understand why you say it might be bigoted or yeah. polemical or whatever. But I also know the, the side of Christianity that is the reality that it is um, accessible to all kinds of cultures and ages and peoples. It's universal that way. So I don't think it's offensive. I yeah. kind of am have a clear conscience about saying everyone should be Christian. Now, what that looks like in certain denominations or um, the way that it's been spread at certain points is, uh, I think that could be a little controversial. Yeah. But to know Jesus and to know God as love and Trinity and to practice the sacraments that Jesus set up is just a joy for anybody. Yeah. But I also don't want to force anybody. If you're out there, don't don't strong arm somebody. <laughs> don't just twist their arm. Yeah. Second wish. Um, do I want to go like super simple or another kind of like grand grandois? I don't know. It shows your personality. Uh, second wish. I wish that everybody everywhere, because this is for the world. You ask for the world, not yeah. just like for my best friends. I wish everywhere, every person in the world uh, would have good work that would allow them to also have good rest and leisure and family time. Oh, yeah. So I wish that, um, and this goes both sides, like all across the world, we have disordered views of work. We have, you know, places where we're working too much. We're killing ourselves working, uh, detriment of family and health and, and faith. And then on the other side, we've got like uh, kind of excess and, um, uh, you know, kind of consumer world. And then you've got your effectively like slave labor yeah, uh, who's not being paid enough and doesn't have any really freedom from it. And so I wish everybody, and this is, I don't know how to solve it, but I wish we could all work as humans together uh, and also have the time to pray, to recreate, to be with family, um, that work is then actually uh, a gift to us rather than uh, a curse or a burden. Yeah. Because the gift of work is it came before the fall. Work came before the fall. Yeah, Adam was given task from God to till, to keep. And it even it was tragic when God says, by the sweat of your brow you will. Yeah. And so there's something about man that wants to work, co-work, co-create with God. So work, work, real work, true work, good work uh, that, that actually is situated and focused on the person. I wish that was everywhere. That's cool. And, and I have my own um, probably practices and habits and purchasing habits that are not helping that around the world, and I can clean that up, but... Uh, I don't know. These are really big projects. I don't know how to solve on a one-person level, but I can throw them up as a prayer and a hope. Hey, well, that's it. That's I'm writing my I'm letter saying. to Jesus, not Santa, for uh, for a Christmas miracle. <laughs> well, that's the point. That's what I wanted to talk about yeah. with Catholic stuff was um, that in the first century, the um, the whole world had been prepared for hoping in a future that was uh, bright and mm. peaceful, a golden age. <laughs> but it came through a lot of kind of cynicism about our own ability to perfect our world in our life or their world in their life, I guess. So I wanted to talk about, just tell you about something that I think I have told you about. Um, 
that is the disillusionment that mm. was in Roman uh, religious life at the time when Jesus comes onto the stage. Oh, I'm excited. Roman religious life. Roman religious life. So we're not talking Israel at the time. We're not talking about Israel, so Roman, you kind of have to forget your Roman Old Testament. Religious. No, I love this. Two of the classes that I had to choose between next semester, one was like the social, political, religious culture of the Jews yeah. at the time of Christ, and the other was kind of focusing more on like the Roman culture. Wow. And then up through Middle Ages, but... I chose the Israel one, so I'm glad I'm getting this podcast with you. Well, they're both fantastic, you know. <laughs> and um, this is one aspect of um, Roman life that would fit a historical context around, you know, the coming of Jesus and his own circumstances. Um, I highly recommend learning, you know, the Jewish context. And, and there's much more that you could say about Roman culture and, um, you know, what are the armies doing in Palestine at the time and what did trade look like? And I'm looking at a book for this next semester on socioeconomic reality of mm. life in the Roman Empire and how the kingdom of God promised something new. For you to read or for your class to read? For my class to nice. read. But I wonder if, I don't know how to assess ahead of time whether or not <laughs> they'd have any interest I find these things very interesting, and I think the the value of that textbook would be that it also covers a lot of theories about the purpose of Luke and Acts. Oh, that's so interesting. There's gonna there's a survey of the last hundred years and all of the different theories about why this is written, and then this proposal by the author, and the author makes his case with a lot of interesting. Yeah. Uh, I would uh, I would preface it for the students that with that because now I want to read it. Just to and then I want to hear you talk about all of these other uh, hypotheses or theories of why Luke or Acts or the audience they were writing to or the situation they were in. Now yeah. I'm interested to learn about that so that you can tell me about all these different Yeah, theories. if you just say, I'm going to, you know, here's a book on yeah. the socioeconomic reality of Roman <laughs> Empire. Like gag. I've got a paper <laughs> to write for something else. Yeah. Um, okay, so in the, at the founding of Rome you have uh, kings, right? Mm -hmm. Eventually, the kingdoms of, not the founding of Rome, uh, the founding of it Italy, Latium. And uh, so you have kings for, I can't remember if there's 14 kings or something like this. But eventually, the kingdom reality, because it spread out and because there was like so much infighting, changes to a senatorial um, government structure or whatever. Um, meanwhile, the um, the religious uh, leadership and structure of Roman religion remained largely the same as it had been set up by um, the second king. Um, mm -hmm. You had Romulus as the first, and he was like the great military king. And so Roman society is built on two pillars, and one is the... Um, the kind of military might and organization. They were super organized and they had the rule of law and it was very codified and that's part of the success of, uh, of the Roman Empire. And then you had the second king, Numa, who was the, um, who established all the religious life hmm. and was kind of a, a paradigm of virtue and, um, and set up the, a structure that kind of like our constitution has a, a balance of power. What do you call that? Distribution of power or something? Yeah. Three branches. Both of those work, yeah. 
Is that right? Three branches? We've got the three branches, yeah. We distribute the power between the three. Judicial, executive, and legislative. legislative. Which is very Roman. And the Congress, Senate, and the... Well, you've got the... Supreme Court or what? Oh, the Supreme Court's are judicial. Yeah. Um, Your Senate and your House of Representatives. Yeah, but that is involved with... They're both legislative. Yeah. And then the president... They they make the laws, and then the president is the executive, which signs the laws and then enforces the laws. And then the judicial branch topped out by the uh, Supreme Court rules okay. or uh, judges the constitutionality of the laws. Okay. So the Roman Republic or the Senate was made up by locally, not, not exactly elected, but appointed representatives mm-hmm. of various places and people. And then you had um, two consuls and they would sort of head the discussions of the Senate. And... Um, and so the Republic became very important. Well, there was, there was infighting and then the spread of Roman society. And um, to the point where this guy Julius Caesar came along and he uh, takes over all the power for the good of the, uh, the whole, you know. And that was pretty controversial. <laughs> um, but it was welcome to a certain extent because it, the economy was working and the, the empire was spreading and it provided some stability um, within the polemics of, you know, you think of a bipartisan Roman system and um, it be, can become so fractured that it, it kind of ruins the efficiency. Okay, so that's the government side. Meanwhile, the religious had a distribution of power between three main priesthoods. Okay, you could you think of a high priest? Well, don't they have the Pontifex Rex? Yeah, Maximus. Maximus. Yeah, the Pontifex Maximus. Pontifex Maximus. That's right. The Pontifex Rex is the priest king. Yeah. So Pontifex Maximus is just the high priest. Yep, he's the high priest. And this is from early Roman senatorial structures. This is. Yeah, this is old, old. I think, I can't remember if during the time of the kings, but they, anyway, there were three three main. One was the, um, the Pontifex Maximus, and he ruled largely on his own, but there was also like a, a priesthood that belonged to him. So his main role was to um, set up the uh, festal calendar and the different rules around religious practice with feasts and sacrifices and temple worship. And so uh, he was in charge of all of the local priests who had temples around the, um, around the Roman Empire. Did he like sort the hierarchy of the, the pantheon of the gods or was it just kind of like their local, their local gods got? Well, everybody got to have the local gods and then there were the three main Capitoline gods hmm. who were, those were the big Roman gods that got really the, if temples were built abroad, they were the ones that were promoted. And I'm going to punt on remembering which one. Um, <laughs> not, not what we're teaching. We're not three, teaching Janus, yeah. um, uh, Jupiter. Is Mars one of them? I don't think so. One of the big ones? I don't think so. But anyway, um, the Capitoline gods. So his job was like canon law and liturgical organization, right? The Pontifex Maximus. And he had to consult with the Vestal Virgins and all of this stuff um, right out of the administration in Rome. That job had its, oh no, I think it was an appointed role. And so I think the Senate could appoint the Pontifex Maximus. Okay. Okay. Then you had um, another priesthood that was 
the the augurs, and the augurs' job was to or their that, that priesthood, their job was to discern the will of the gods, <laughs> and they would read the birds, the movement of the birds. They would kind of ask a question of the gods: Should we go to war right now? Who should be our leader? Should we make this law? And then they would read the the will of the gods, either through the birds and the way that they flew. They would use this kind of hooked um, staff, and then depending on how the birds flew through the the eye hole of the hook, um, you could tell you know the answer to your question. Or the augurs would read the entrails of sacrificed animals. <laughs> so if you, I don't know if you just like roll a liver in your hand or something and then <laughs> see how it. Um, but there would be certain designs. Now in both cases, or no, I'll tell you about the third one. Okay, so the third one is the Quindici Viri, and their job was to interpret the Sibylline oracles. So they were the scripture experts and uh, kind of the theologians, right? Mm-hmm. And um, so the Sibylline oracles, there's, I think, what, 14 Sibyls around the world. And then the, the Sibyl of Cume was the main Roman uh, Sibyl. That's like a prophetess. And they would have their own writings that they would kind of mystically acquire, you know, in ecstatic states. Um, but then the priesthood was meant to look at that kind of poetic stuff and then discern what it means for their age and kind of what's coming in the future. Okay, so you got these three priesthoods. One of those, the augurs and the Quindiciviri, one of them is hereditary and uh, to be the high priest. And the other one was, um, I don't know, there's one that's elected, there's one that's appointed, and then there's one that's hereditary, okay? Mm-hmm. And um, to balance the power and the, the structure of religion, they um, no, a high priest could only be high priest of one of those. And in part because you had to have the most expertise in that field, so these folks, they would train and train and train, and they would go through seminary much longer than you. <laughs> and, uh, you know, learning to read the entrails was like, you know, you would have an old guy who's been doing this for a very More long time. More than a semester course. That's right. That's right. And they would mostly out of apprenticeship. Um, and so there's these three different priesthoods, and they had their own expertise, and it was really, really well run. Okay. Julius Caesar comes along, and he wants to consolidate power. Not only does he take the uh, take the the all of the political power, but he also um, becomes you know has himself appointed as the high priest of one, has himself um, is elected for the other one, and claims the hereditary and right then of a claims third. the hereditary right <laughs> of the third. So he becomes the high priest of all three. His um, his adopted son Augustus will uh, carry the same. Um, so now they're all hereditary. Triple. <laughs> well, then it does, yeah. I or guess just it, tied to the appointment is now the, is this where the pontifex rex comes in, that the the king is also the high priest? I think down the line, or maybe before, but I think down the line. Well, and then it, it'll operate this way. The next set of emperors for the next, what, 200 years mm-hmm. are going to claim that same privilege. Problem is that once Julius took these priesthoods, he changed the policy. I mean, he, he was a military general. He didn't really care about yeah. religion. Augustus does. He really loves that he's a 
uh, a great <laughs> high priest for each of these. But um, our boy Julius changes the system such that on the local level, if you're, you know, say this is coming from New York, the all of the organization is Rome. Well, over in Colorado, you have representatives that are kind of attached to, you know, the big Roman kind of hub. But then at the local level, the priesthoods could now be bought. They could be, they, they were important, like local positions. I mean, so closely tied with politics that they're super powerful in a, you know, in any given place. So the, the priesthoods could be bought. They could be, you could be elected by local government. The problem is you end up getting these local uh, authorities who have no training. No training in the Sibylline oracles or the scriptures. <laughs> no training in actually this sort of mystical divining. And no training in um, the practices. Even though, you know, the practices are probably the simplest one to say, well, we've been doing this for a long time. Let's just keep, you know, our great sun procession at the same time of the year, you know. <laughs> so what happens is all of these people around the Roman Empire they lose faith in the uh, the Roman religion, that this is actually connecting them with the gods. Their leaders are like incompetent. And people believed, you know, people wanted religion. They wanted to connect with the gods. They wanted to believe. And now this is all being, you know, falling apart and being called into question. So there's this mass exodus toward these secret mystery religions that are going on. That's like the, the Gnosis, yeah. Gnostic kind of uh, cultic mystery. Yeah. And, and if you're in, you have the knowledge yeah. of, of the true divine faith. or And they have underground rituals. Or, and you have to go through these weird rites that are secretive. And the Elysian mysteries or the Mithras mysteries. and So this was growing, but it belonged to the elite. You had to be have a lot of money and be kind of underground. What's that Harvard... Uh, uh, the bones or something was that underground know. club you don't know <laughs> i don't I, I have not been in the elites enough i guess yeah um, right i <laughs> i'm just i'm fascinating because as you're saying i'm i'm fascinated by ancient history so i love it but i'm also just i'm imagining somebody was at their christmas party and or their their family somebody suggested catholic stuff you should know as a podcast for them and they come and listen to this one three days later yeah and they're like this sounds nothing catholic what's going on but at the same time there's all these terms like pontifex you know the pope yeah uh you've got kind of these cultic religious structures and and i there's uh i'm excited to see where you go with tying this all together yeah so i just want to name that because yeah, there's yeah. so much even as you're describing um political power versus religious power and how it gets consolidated how it gets abused i'm like we're talking about rome wait are we talking about now yeah. are we talking about <laughs> well that's true and i'll kind of you know have so. people connect their own dots yeah. i saw a car today in the parking lot of the grocery store that had a bumper sticker that said your government is lying to you and then another bumper sticker that said i hope something wonderful happens to you today <laughs> <laughs> on the same car yeah on the same car and i but it was indicative yeah. to me i mean it was like emblematic of some of the uh cynicism and disillusionment of our time yeah. that is we have inherited a sort of cultural relic of religion and um, and it's largely not trusted. 
And, and then you have, well, who do you trust? Who do you put your hope in? And it tends to be like, well, our politicians. And our politicians are largely incompetent, and there's a lot of cynicism around the government right now. And what happens in the Roman Empire Which is, is similar things. That this is distrust all, the priests that have been bought. We distrust the senders who have bought their position. Yeah. But what it does, I think, is um, it sets up this desire for a huge revolution. And you see this in like the writing of Virgil when he's giving like a prediction about Augustus coming to the world. He starts, you know, including all these prophecies from the Sibyls about a golden age is coming and there's a child to be born that will spread uh, the Pax Romana, the peace all the way around the world. And you see this whole new age that's going to dawn. Augustus dies um, kind of when Jesus is born. And so by the time he's um, starting his ministry, this disillusionment has set in largely. You know, people were kind of in a brief dark age waiting for what happened to those, you know, those great prophecies. This was supposed to bring in world peace. And now we've had two emperors who are, you know, pretty bad and nothing like the hope that we had with Augustus. So there's this turn to saying, well, our, our expectations have been stirred up and now we want something that we're not getting. And it sets the stage in a way, I think providentially, for the coming of Jesus and his kingdom of God movement to spread like wildfire. And it did. And I think in large part that had to do with the trouble that uh, existed beforehand and people wanting something great for the world. So here's why I come back to your, <laughs> what would you wish for the world? Because I think when, when the Catholic Church sets up this Advent season and reminds us that there's darkness and, and, and challenges us to be honest about that, our own personal darkness, the darkness in the world, and, um, and then to expect that the light is coming, that Jesus is coming, that I think a lot of times we tend toward, or when I'm asked, like, what does it mean that Jesus is coming? Why, does he, why do you care? I quickly go to, well, I have these pieces of brokenness in my life or, you know, hopes for next year and kind of what, you know, my li- spiritual life can be like and welcoming God, trying to do that humbly. But I want people to wish big things for the world. I mean, Jesus is coming wasn't just like, oh, I think my life is going to be a little better. <laughs> it's like this is going to revolutionize everything and bring hopes that we couldn't even, you know, we didn't think was possible. Yeah. You know, peace in places where it wasn't and um, light and a kind of golden age and spread of cooperation and, you know, laying down some of the the, the fights and the battles and um, even sharing of goods. I mean, the the Christian society operated differently than the rest of the world. And um, so I've been asking people, what would you wish for the whole world? And I got um, uh, golden retrievers for everyone. <laughs> I got a lot of world peace. I got uh, patience for everyone. I got um, socks. Uh, I got... Uh, like joy for the children. <laughs> and then here's mine. I want, um, if something could miraculously happen that changes the whole world, 
and doesn't come from us. It's not from our own doing, fixing everything and being nice to each other. It's just God in the heavens and whatever wild, invisible goodness um, does something miraculous. I would want everyone to be able to draw well. <laughs> Either draw well or a fun one. sing well and have like make music. Mm. That's what, good. What do you think? I like that. I love that one. Um, yeah. And of course, I. what do you think about the idea of trying to get everybody to make a wish list of what you would want for the world? And then yeah, let's all pray for it. Definitely. I Well, I want to respond with how do you respond to the cynicism and the disillusionment um, that's around this even? Uh, I know we got to let you run. I but know. I'm trying there, to. There's, uh, <laughs> I've been talking and yeah. talking and talking because no, 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 we're it's good. trying to go short. There's, there's years ago, um, not years, but five, six years ago, there was a SNL skit with the, it was the girl you don't want to meet at parties. Oh, no. And she's got this line where she's talking to Seth on the weekend update going, Seth, 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 what do you, what do you want for Christmas? And he's like, I'm not going to answer that question. Like, no, Seth, Seth, what do you want? What do you want for Christmas? He's like, fine, I guess. I want the new iPad. And she's like, really? I asked to end genocide. <laughs> yeah. And so like, right. how do we, how do we, pretentious. <laughs> how do we balance like the apparent and, and possible real like triteness of these responses of like, oh, I want world peace, of course. Mm-hmm. But also like, you know, how and what, and what are we doing? And what are we asking? Yeah. And where are we asking it from? Um, like, because there's, there's an expression of faith there and then also a rejection of faith because there's a cynicism that God's in the world. We've, you know, Nietzsche, God is dead and we have killed him. Yeah. We live in this, this modern world that largely uh, in, in many places has kind of killed the idea of God culturally, publicly. So we talk about being a Christian nation, but more and more, or do we really have any true faith? Yeah. Um, in in God, that he's active and present. 2,000 years later, God, you haven't come back yet. You said you were coming. Yeah. Where are you? So like a disillusionment of a person of faith who's awaiting, who is in this Advent mode of waiting, not just to recount the Christmas story, but really waiting for Christ to come powerfully into their life in their moment, as well as the second coming of Christ that we yeah. are awaiting. Um, what about just intervention from God? Yeah, you know, the angels all of a sudden just <laughs> moving, start doing stuff. Um, and so, yeah, the, not the, that they're not doing stuff, obviously. But, but, but the hope, point. Um, these these great hopes, and then kind of a disillusionment and a lack of faith that goes around it. And I could see some people rolling their eyes, like, "Oh, you want everybody to have nice work, Jake? Great. You know what are you going to do about it?" And it's like, I don't know. That's I the don't point. No, and that's, that's why point. I can't do it. But I do think God can, and that's we 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 wait with bated breath for the coming and and putting things to right and that true new kingdom uh which jesus promised and said he's coming into the world um and so then your counterpoint that uh some people will throw is oh you're just your your religion is just your wishful thinking your opiate of the masses because your escape life is hard and so you just want to escape into this Mm. idea of a future that's never really going to come because it makes you feel good like oh maybe we'll get there instead of really just digging in and you know yeah and doing something (laughs) nice for somebody well and that doesn't mean you shouldn't 
forgive somebody, do mm-hmm. your little part, you know. And I think a lot of no. people who believe it are, are ones who are doing really generous things, but I think people still ridicule them of like, yeah. oh, you you think you really think like a, a whole new uh, city of Jerusalem is going to fall out of the sky and everything's going to be perfect and rosy and wonderful. And, and we're like, yeah, we're but talking. The point is, we're in the dark. So yeah. what do you think? It doesn't matter. It's like, oh. what do you dream? Yeah. And um, and eye has not seen and ear has not heard what the Lord has prepared Amen. for those who love Him. And then, uh, so I'll finish with this. You did you see Elf? Oh yeah, with uh, Will Ferrell. And this is going to be corny kind of <laughs> uh, analogy, but I like it anyway. It's um, and I don't want to make it operate like this exactly, but you remember they have to they have to all believe. You know, he's trying to, the kids running around the crowd <laughs> trying to get them to yeah. sing so they believe in Santa. And Dad, then, you're not singing. And then his sleigh will <laughs> rise or whatever. So I obviously, I don't want us to sort of whip ourselves <laughs> into that, you know, let's believe in some fake thing. But there is something of common conviction that works into prayer. So I want everybody to be wishing big that are Catholic and praying for big things because our God does big things. Mm-hmm. And we don't, know what to expect you know so we can get specific with prayers i think that's very important like i want you know this particular problem to go away or i want peace in this particular place or you know a part of the world um those are good of course but i want you to build your list build your list of big dreams build your list check it and twice if there's cliches pray. on there like world peace praise god awesome pray let's for do it. it a golden age a golden age i love it i think, and yeah. and look at the world um that can be falling apart even on the religious end mm-hmm. with hope because yeah. this can providentially set up a situation where people need and they want and we desire yeah. something into a prayer you know dream big hope big pray big love big oh yeah merry christmas everybody <laughs> cheers you got any shout outs real quick before i do not all right, well, I'm going to shout out santa reindeer santa baby <laughs> yeah it's frosty the snowman and Will Ferrell. <laughs> and Will Ferrell. <laughs> thanks. Uh, thanks for joining us for a, a shorter Catholic stuff. Uh, have a Merry Christmas, and uh, we'll see you guys in the new year. Yeah, I love you. Come, Lord Jesus. <laughs> <laughs>